Fred Ricciani of TSC. We have right here via Zoom a very special guest. He is a college football Hall of Famer, a Chicago sports icon, a Super Bowl champion. He's kicking it in lovely Arizona during this quarantine. We're talking to legendary Chicago Bears quarterback Jim McMahon. Jim, how's everything going? Doing great, my man. Out here in the 100-degree heat, just uh, doing a lot of yard work these days. (laughs) How's everything been going? I mean, obviously, every state almost – Every country around the world is on lockdown or some form of lockdown. It's all affected our lives in different ways. How are you doing? Well, my, my routine really doesn't change much other than all the all the events that have been canceled. Uh, when I'm home, I'm usually here working in the yard. Uh, that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last three months. I've been cutting down trees and, and transplanting cactus and just trying to get this yard in, uh, in better shape. Awesome. And... As far as how your body's holding up and everything, I know a lot of people were, were worried about you a few years ago talking about different health issues. I, I know you had some type of uh, neck adjustment that, that apparently had helped your back and kind of helped you know, clear your mind literally and, and figuratively. How are you holding up these days? Well, I still have to go see my doctor in New York uh, about every three months. It's been about five now with this lockdown, but I need to get back there and see him. I'm starting to have headaches again. So uh, I get relief from him for about uh, three months, and then I got to go back and see him because uh, my neck is so screwed up. Uh, the bones in my neck, uh, there's a lot of uh, blockages there so that my spinal fluid doesn't flow properly. Um, but as far as my body's concerned, it uh, you know, feels feels pretty good. I had I had a stem cell treatment in December down in Medellin, Colombia, and it was awesome. Uh, I had 275 million stem cells shot into my into both shoulders, both elbows, both knees, uh, into my neck, uh, into my spine. So they actually went up into my brain and, uh, and an IV full of them too. So my body is, is actually feeling better. It's just that uh, my head is still my biggest issue. Now, speaking of your head, from what I understand, based on, on your Twitter account, what you've talked about publicly, uh, you're the co-founder of Players Against Concussions? Yeah, Jeremy Ronick and I started that a few years back, just trying to you know get people aware of what's going on with these concussion issues. And uh, as far as what's going on with it now, I really don't know. I, I'm not day to day. I'm not the uh, the guy in the office. So <laughs> we just wanted to make people aware of, of, of the dangers of the of the concussions and and the, the symptoms. And uh, you can you can have a lot of problems down the road if you don't take care of them the, the correct way. <clears throat> Absolutely, and. Obviously, football is always going to be a dangerous game, no matter how you police and how many rules they put in place. But I think a lot of people would like to argue that it's a lot more quarterback friendly these days. So if you were playing today, do you think, one, your stats would be better, and two, that you'd have a lot less injuries? Oh, there's no question. (laughs) I mean, today you can't even run by the guy without a flag. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'd I'd hate to be playing defense right now. Where where do you hit a guy anymore? (laughs) I know I saw... Was it last year? Clay Matthews got flagged a couple times early in the season for, for just regular tackles, and uh, I, I don't understand it. But I, the way the league's going now, it looks like it might end up as a seven-on-seven passing league because that's basically what everybody does nowadays. Speaking of nowadays, is there any quarterback these days that reminds you of you a bit? Uh, Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, I think the way he plays, uh, he's very instinctive. He's very bright. Uh, I talked to Andy Reid about him a couple of years ago, right after they traded uh, Alex Smith. I was in Kansas City for an function, and uh, Andy showed up. 
Andy was my left tackle in college. I've known him since 77, 78, something like that. So, and I asked him then, I said, Hey, uh, are you guys going to be okay without Smith? He says, yeah, we got this kid, Patrick Mahomes. He's going to be just fine. And uh, I've got a lot of confidence in Andy's ability to be a coach and, and uh, a player, a guy that uh, knows talent. And uh, so I knew they, they were going to be fine, but he's, he's very instinctive player. He, he throws the ball from any angle. I mean, he just makes plays. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of what I d- used to do in college when I got to throw the football. It's going to be the 35 year anniversary of the 85 Bears Super Bowl victory, which is just, I mean, it's crazy to think about. I mean, full disclosure, I was born after that happened, but I heard all about it. Obviously, I've explored history. My dad loved your team and still talks about it this day. And when I told him I'm interviewing Jim McMahon, he went crazy. And, you know, there's still a lot of people that remember that team so fondly. Uh, Does it ever surprise you at all that the team still has an impact to this day on the game? Yeah, actually it does. Because, you know, like you said, it was 35 years ago. And, uh, you know, the way they people still talk about that team as being one of the best ever, and I, I believe it was, uh, not only in 85, but 86, 87, 88 were pretty good too. It's just unfortunate we had home field advantage those four straight years and didn't take advantage of it. Uh, we had a good football team. We won a lot of football games in that five-year span, and unfortunately it was only one Super Bowl. But uh, people still talk about it. And they bring up the Super Bowl shuffle every, everywhere I go as well. <laughs> And for any younger fans that don't know, I mean, the Super Bowl shuffle was an I- iconic, something you may say cringe. I happen to like it. <laughs> music video that you guys did after winning the Super Bowl. Whose idea was that back then? Uh, we actually did that in October of that year. It wasn't after the Super Bowl. We did it during the season. Uh, it was Willie Galt's idea. He had a friend in the music business. And uh, the premise was that we were going to do this video so we could make money to help feed the homeless on Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. And so everybody thought that was a good idea. And so we did it. Uh, the original, the original contract was we're going to do a record. So that's what we signed up to do was to do the record. And after we did the record, they came back about two weeks later, said, now, now you have to do a video. <laughs> and we said, no, that, that wasn't part of the deal. And in fact, Walter Payton and I didn't show up to the shooting of the video because we told them that wasn't part of the deal. And um, they ended up shooting that the morning after we lost to Miami on a Monday night down in Miami. And so by the time we got home to Chicago, it was probably three or four in the morning. Um, Everybody had to be at the studio like at nine o'clock the next morning. And uh, those guys showed up, but Walter and I didn't. And then, uh, Willie and his his friend approached us a couple of weeks later and, and said they were going to sue us if we didn't do our part. So, uh, what you see on that uh, on that on that video is is a couple of uh, pissed off guys having to do their part after practice in the in the racquetball court at Hallis Hall. So, it wasn't a whole lot of fun for me. Damn it! I never knew that. And not only was it after practice, but it was after your only loss in 1985 to the Dolphins. Otherwise, you guys would have been. 16 and 0. So, yeah, I, I can imagine you, you probably weren't happy. And I'm assuming that means you guys didn't get royalties for that? Uh, we've got all the people that had speaking parts, I believe, made $5,000. And that was a one time payment. And, uh, you know, the, the, gold, uh, the record ended up going gold. And then the video was a platinum video. I mean, they've, and they've since re released it, I don't know how many times. And we, we were not compensated. So, uh, we went through some litigation uh, 
the last couple of years, I don't really know what what came about came of it all. Um, but who knows? You know, five grand for that little bit was wasn't that bad in the Super Bowl. Were you surprised when when Coach made the call to hand the ball off to Fridge as opposed to Peyton? No, not really. Not the way that things were going in the game. Um, you know, New England's focus that whole week was to stop Walter Payton. They figured if they stopped Walter, that they could win. And, um, you know, Walter carried the ball, I think, around 27 times in the game, if I'm not mistaken. And So he, he had plenty of chances. But I think if he, we could have carried he could have carried it 100 times. I don't think he would have got in because of the focus of, of the New England Patriots. That's what made everybody else successful. Suey had a big day. I scored twice. Uh, the first time I scored was, was an option play. And it was either myself or Walter was going to score. And as soon as I faked the ball to Fridge, the end, the end collapsed. And then the, whoever was on the outside of the line of scrimmage, it went straight to Walter. I had to, I had to turn it up. And then the other one, uh, I think we're on the half-yard line. So that was a no-brainer to do a quarterback sneak. But their whole focus was, you know, we stop Walter Payton, we win. And I tell people this all the time. I said, you watch the opening play of the second half. I believe we were backed up on our four-yard line. We ran a play-action pass. And uh, it wasn't even a very good fake. And there was about six guys chasing Walter. You know, Willie was running up the middle of the field one-on-one. And uh, we ended up getting a 60-yard play out of it. But <clears throat> it should have been a 96-yarder, but I underthrew it about a yard. Anyway, uh, yeah, that was the focus of them. You know, stop Walter, and we win. And, and that definitely didn't happen. Is there a part of you that's a little bittersweet of the fact that it's been 35 years since that Super Bowl victory and you're still considered in, in modern times the best Chicago Bears quarterback ever? I mean, as far as, you know, since, since then, I mean, they've, Mitch Trubisky, he had a nice run a couple of years ago. Now he's kind of in the hot seat. They tried to Rex Grossman. That failed. They tried with Jay Cutler. Uh, that failed. Is it kind of cool to know that you're still uh, highly regarded by Chicago fans but also kind of bittersweet knowing that you want the Bears to succeed and for whatever reason they still haven't figured it out at quarterback? It's not a quarterback friendly team. I mean it, you know Chicago's always been known for their defense and their running game and you know even in this past happy league now it, you know they're starting to throw the ball more now <laughs> it seems like but you know quarterbacks are not uh, not too highly regarded there in that city. It's the running backs and defense so to still be mentioned, yeah, it's, it's nice. Uh, you know, I think I did a lot of good things. I think I helped them tremendously on on, on, on learning how to win. And, uh, uh, you know, I gave it my all there. And I, that's what's nice about Chicago. The fans understand who plays hard and who doesn't. And uh, that's all you have to do there, and they'll love you. If, if you play hard and win, they'll love you forever. And that's that's been proven so far. You made it to the College Football Hall of Fame, didn't make it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but had a, a hell of an NFL career, not just with the Chicago Bears, but you had a, a, a long, successful career for the most part. Uh, looking back, if you could start all over again, would you take the Hall of Fame pro football career or would you keep it the way it is where you're a Chicago icon? You know, the Hall of Fame is not, you know, that's something for, you know, you got to have a lot of statistics to get in there. And that's, I don't think that'll, that'll ever happen. Because uh, statistically, uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't all that good statistically, as far you know. But my wins and losses were were what uh, I was proud of. I mean, I, I won a hell of a lot more games than I lost. And <laughs> I had a record at one point. I had I think twenty three or twenty four games in a row that we won while I was playing. So uh, you know that was nice. That held up for quite a while. I, I can't remember if it was Peyton Manning or or Brady. Some one of those two, I believe, broke that record. But 
that was nice to be, you know, to win that many games. And that actually covered a three-year span because in 1985, I played 11 games. Uh, in 86, I only played six games, I believe, because my shoulder was all screwed up. Um, we won all six of those. And then in 87, we won a few. Or actually, 87, um, I missed the first half a year because I was still recovering from shoulder surgery. And then won some games uh, in 87. And finally, I, I think I finally lost in Denver. I, I think that's the one I lost to, to end my streak. But, yeah, it was a nice run, you know, knowing that every time I got on the field that we had a real good chance of winning. That, that's always good. Some people may not know this, but you've been half blind for most of your life since you were a kid. And, of course, you still went on to have great success in college in the NFL. Did you ever look at being half blind as a disadvantage or was that something you kind of just got used to growing up? Yeah, I, I've grown up with this since I was six years old. Um, I stuck a fork in my eye when I was six. Not intentionally. I was trying to undo a gun holster that I had on. You know, we we're playing Cowboys and Indians. We didn't have Xbox and all the stuff they have now. So uh, we got done playing and I had a had a gun holster tied to my tied to my leg and I could not get that knot out. And so I went and got a fork and started messing with that. And the, uh, the fork, as I'm messing with the knot, the fork slipped and boom. Um, that proves the hand's quicker than the eye because two prongs went dead center in my eye and, and ended up back in my head somewhere. And I was lucky. I, I just nicked the retina. I didn't, uh, I didn't sever it. But uh, they, had to, they had to cut out a big chunk of my iris. And so this, my right eye doesn't dilate. It's huge all the time. I'm sure you've had your eyes checked and they, they give you those little plastic glasses to wear home, mm -hmm. but that's how my eye is all day long. You know, since I was, that's 54 years ago, it happened. So I grew up with it. Uh, I never considered it uh, a handicap. You know, I just had to learn that, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't see the whole field real well. You know, the, my right side was my blind side and I got hit in the face a lot more than I got hit in the back because I could see the guy, you know, over my left shoulder. I could never see the guy that was, right here in front of my face and so I got smacked a few times but uh you know it, it's uh like I said I grew up with it so I never considered it a handicap and I just uh, learned to learn to live with it you were a star quarterback of course a, a Super Bowl champion you also won NFL comeback player of the year in 1991 but you also had times where you had to be a backup as well right now there are some current NFL quarterbacks in a position where they may have to take a back seat from that starting role what advice would you give any star quarterback or really star player that has to maybe take a lesser role due to the fact they didn't have success the previous season or because maybe their body's just starting to give out? Depends on what they want to do. If they want to be a backup all their life, they can just be comfortable doing that. Myself, I did not like being a backup. Everywhere I went, I felt like I could be the starter. Um, and you have to prepare that way. You have to believe that you're going to play. And um, you know, I, I was always ready every week that I was the backup. And uh, sometimes I got in, sometimes I didn't. And you mentioned 1991. Randall Cunningham got hurt the first game of the year. So I, I got to play pretty much most of that year. I got injured a couple of times. Um, I know I had a bad knee then. Uh, my elbow had a, had a broken bone and a torn tendon in my throwing elbow. They kept telling me it was tendonitis. So all they did was, you know, I didn't practice all week. I would just shoot it on Sunday and play. And then uh, the rest of the week it hurt like hell. But, you know, I did that pretty much all season until uh, we were playing in New York against the Giants. I got landed on by one of their big defensive linemen and, and broke five ribs off my sternum. So that ended my career or ended my season that year. So uh, yeah, injuries are part of the game. And, and uh, unfortunately I, I've had some, 
some weird ones. You know, I broke five ribs off my sternum. I tore the bottom third of my kidney off in 84. Uh, I had a broken bone in my throwing hand I had to play with in my elbow. I mean, it's just, uh, it was, it was tough playing, but I love to play. If I could walk out on the field, I was going to play no matter what. I mean, did you surprise the, the medical staff as well? I mean, those are some crazy injuries. Did they ever say, hey, Jim, man, sit out this one game? Well, like I said, as far as my elbow was concerned, they kept telling me there was nothing wrong with it. They thought I had tendonitis because it was, I had a lot of point tenderness. Every time they touched it, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even touch it. But when they did, they said, oh, this is right where the tendon attaches. And I said, well, I don't think it's attached because it hurts like hell all day long. And when I finally went and, and saw – Frank Joe about in LA who used to be the Dodgers doctor. Uh, he did my shoulder as well. And he said, Hey, you're, you know, you've got, uh, you got a broken bone in your elbow and, and your tendons in your forearm somewhere. And I said, well, you know, I, my, my contracts were all incentive laden. So I said, well, at the end of the season, I'll come back and, and get it done. But then, uh, and a couple of weeks later I hurt my ribs. So the season was over for me. And as soon as I was well enough, I went out to LA and, and had my elbow done as I was, recuperating from my ribs you hear a lot about all the different negotiations of the cba the nfl the players association just agreed to a new cba do you feel like the nfl is doing enough for older players or veteran players like yourself who sacrificed their bodies long before there were quarterback friendly rules no no they, they could care less about the guys that have, have already played and, and are done uh, they throw us a bone they give us an extra couple hundred bucks or something a month on this new cba but other than that, uh, you're pretty much on your own. You know, getting insurance is tough. And, uh, no, there, there, there's no help from the NFL, that's for sure. So nothing as far as from, like, the NFLPA or, like, the Alumni Association. So say, like, all the injuries you've had. If you got to get – if you need benefits, if you need medical coverage, like, you can't go through them. You're going to have to either pay that on your own or get another job – or get a job where they do provide benefits is what you're saying. Well, there, there are some benefits. I've, I've read a couple things that have been coming through the mail. If you need a, you know, a new knee or a new shoulder, I believe they'll, they'll pay for that. And then if, if something worse comes down the line because of this concussion suit, I was one of the main plaintiffs in that concussion suit. I don't know why they called it the concussion lawsuit because it had nothing to do with concussions. Uh, because unless you have dementia, uh, Alzheimer's, or ALS, you don't get anything. And it's the guys that are, are still having these concussion type sim, uh, symptoms, concussion syndrome symptoms that are they're, they're killing themselves. And I had the same thoughts myself, you know, a few years back before I found out what exactly was going on with me. But um, yeah, it's, it's tough, man. Well, I, w I wish you the best, man. I appreciate you being completely honest and, and transparent about that. Uh, on a lighter note, We'd like to ask our guests a few random questions just for viewers to get to know them a little bit more. Are you ready? Go right ahead. What's your favorite midnight snack? Ooh. Well, if it's not a bowl of ice cream, <laughs> it's usually some fruit or chips or nuts or popcorn. Yeah, I, I tend to snack quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Good choices. And doing my research, I found out that at BYU, you actually were a punter? Well, I made the varsity team my freshman year as the punter. I was the, uh, I was the third team quarterback at the time. But uh, the only way I was going to make the varsity is by doing something else because unless you're the number one guy at BYU, you don't get any reps. 
you know, the second team guy might get a couple and the third team guy never gets any. So uh, I wanted to be part of the varsity team and I, I could kick the ball. So I, I made the varsity as a punter, but I was still playing QB. How different do you think your life would have been if you became a punter? We've also, did you also play baseball as well there? Yes. That's why I went to BYU. There was, of all the schools that I went to, because baseball was my first love, that's all I wanted to do was play baseball. And uh, I, would, I told the colleges where I went. I went back to Nebraska, Oklahoma State. Uh, I can't even remember the other places. But the only two schools that said I could play both sports was Brigham Young or Nevada, Las Vegas. And Vegas happened to be my last recruiting trip. And I had a great time. And I came home and said, Pops, I'm going to Vegas. And my dad said, no, it's not a big enough school. I said, Pops, listen to me. I don't care how big the school. I, was, I knew I could go on to the next level. But uh, I said, they just offered me a house, a car, money, easy job at the casino. I mean, hell, I could have been Steve Wynn or dead from strippers. Who knows? But <laughs> Uh, yeah, my dad wouldn't let me go. So I had, that's, I ended up going to BYU. I played baseball my freshman year for about 10 games, but they didn't tell me I couldn't get out of spring football practice. So I would play a game of a double header and I was playing in the outfield and throwing the ball from the outfield is a lot different than throwing the ball from the pocket, but the you know, different motion and everything else. So, uh, my arm was, my arm was starting to, give me problems then so I, I had to make a decision and uh, since football was my scholarship I ended up just sticking with football hey things it, worked out but I would have rather played baseball I don't think I'd, my body would feel like this if I was playing baseball did you did you ever consider or have the chance to do both sports I mean we've, we've seen Bo Jackson we've seen, seen Deion Sanders you know kind of do both even R Russell Wilson a few years ago kind of entertained the idea of you know maybe doing doing baseball as well was that ever an option for you or were, when you finally did get to the point where you're in the NFL, were you just kind of all in on football? Yeah, well, once I decided to quit baseball in college, that's when football was going to be it. So I just stuck with that. You know, it worked out okay. Uh, things worked out. I, yeah. you know, I had a great career, you know, 15 years, a long time to play. And uh, like you said, seven different teams. So I got to travel around the country. My family got to travel. Uh, my kids, you know, they, they went to eight different schools in eight years because I was always going somewhere else. And so for the first half of the school year, they would go wherever I was at. And then they would go home at Christmas vacation and then start their school after that. But uh, I end up, I told my oldest daughter, I said, when you get to high school, I'll, I'll retire and, and stay in one place in Chicago. And you guys could all finish high school in the, in one spot. And I, I, I left uh, my high school in California after my sophomore year and moved to Utah. And you talk about a culture shock. I mean, where I grew up in San Jose, I, did, I never even heard of the word Mormon. And then uh, to move to Utah, it was, it was quite different. Who would you say was your funniest teammate? Uh, Dave Archer. Dave was a quarterback in Atlanta for a few years. And then uh, I played with him in San Diego with the Chargers. And then he also came to uh, Philadelphia when I was there in Philly for a couple of years. So and we, we still to this day, we, we laugh our ass off every time we get together. And uh, he's doing all the color for the Falcons now, so he doesn't get a whole lot of free time. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Dave's, Dave's a funny, funny man. Are there any stories you could share that, that you're allowed to share? <laughs> From Dave? Yeah. 
anything in the locker room or on the field that he did that made you just laugh your ass off? Just looking at it makes me laugh. I mean, because I know there's something funny going to come out of his mouth. So I, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head, but uh, we, we enjoyed ourselves and uh, we certainly laughed a lot. What's one thing that you weren't told before you got into the NFL that you wish you were told? I never, you know, I didn't have any expectations or anything when I got to the NFL. I just, I just thought it was going to be a business, which it was. And, um, you know, we, we had our fun too. I had some, like I said, I had great teammates everywhere I went. And we usually, you know, the daily, the daily grind is very boring in football. I mean, you get to, you get to the office about eight o'clock in the morning, you get home at six at night. You know, you're going through meetings, you're going through practice, you're going through weights, you're going through treatment. I mean, it's it's a full-time job. And so uh, just just to be able to get home and relax, that was good. And before I let you go, what's the best piece of advice you give anybody that's hoping to have success in their respective field, whether it be football or otherwise? Just work hard. You got to outwork your opponents. And uh, we certainly did that in Chicago. I mean... Oh, yeah. We were, uh, our practices lasted about three, three and a half hours. There was fights every day. There was, uh, and then after all that, we'd, we'd have to get on the goal line and run 100-yard sprints until Dickie got tired of blowing a whistle. Sometimes that would be half hour. Sometimes that would be an hour. And uh, that wasn't a whole lot of fun. I, I can imagine. And where can fans find you online? Online? Well, my son does all my social media. I've never never been on it. I wouldn't even know how to get on it. So if you if you think you're contacting me, it's it's usually my son. And then he relays any any important messages to me. So, Well, actually, on, well, actually on Twitter, at Jim McMahon. Easy enough. So there you go. Okay, yeah. You'll be speaking with Sean, but he'll, he'll relay any important messages to me. Awesome. Jim, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the time. I hope you and your family stay safe and Keep enjoying that gorgeous Arizona weather. It looks great. Yeah, it is. It's, it's already over 100, though, and it's way too early to be 100 degrees. But I'd take the heat over the, over the cold any, any day of the week.